0: It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word. This
1: is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at afr.net or visit facebook.com slash exploring the word. Exploring the
0: Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Thank you for listening, and we hope you're having a great, great Friday. Uh, when you don't hear that telephone number in the intro, that means it's a pre-record. But the questions are yours. They're questions that's come to us at word.afr.net. They've come to Alex or come to me or whatever, and we take time out to answer those questions as well. We don't get to hear from you uh, live, but we hear from you, and we share those questions. So we appreciate that. And if you have questions, then you don't want to call in on the regular days. Uh, You can do that at word.afr.net. Alex? Alex? When it comes to Fire Away Fridays, there's always a little extra uh, energy uh, in the program because we're answering questions that we know people want to hear. And usually, if one person has asked that question, it's usually a lot of people want to ask that question, doesn't it?
1: Well, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we're so excited after a decade uh, plus, really, of doing the program, this fall you and I have our very first book coming out together with 100 questions and answers from the first 10 years of Exploring the Word. Now,
0: the questions
1: are excellent. We hope the answers will be as well, right? (laughs) To God be the glory, exactly, exactly. Amen. But um, let let me put one out here that we've gotten from time to time, and uh, It's phrased a number of different ways, but basically, what does the Bible have to say about dinosaurs? Because, you know, clearly um, there were dinosaurs. You know, whenever I see something like an alligator or a crocodile or iguana, kind of makes me think about dinosaurs. But, Bert, people want to know how do we reconcile what we have in the Bible with what we know about the record of history? and dinosaurs. And so that's a question we've gotten a time or two. Um, In in a few places in in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Job, there is wording that seems to indicate that, yes, the Word of God acknowledges dinosaurs.
0: Well, when you hear dinosaurs, you think of great lizards. Uh, Well, that tells you a little bit about what they are, Is it the Camola dragon? I remember the first Camola dragon that I ever saw. I thought, man, there's a a dinosaur close to the ground. Uh, Alex, uh, you also have to go back to Noah's Ark to answer that. Did he have any dinosaurs? Well, there's no doubt he had dinosaurs, different species but they're like reptiles. Let me see. Reptiles continue to grow. That's why uh, you'll have an alligator, a big alligator, be 14 feet long, and another one would be 8 feet. You know, you go to an alligator farm, and you see mostly the smaller ones, very few reach the, the, the length that they are. But dinosaurs is in that category. So if you were going to put them in arc and space was an
1: issue, Uh, Let me see, would you get one fully grown, or would you get some that were smaller? You would get smaller ones. You you really would. And hey, by the way, if you ever have an opportunity to go to the Creation Museum or the Ark, uh, it's just outside of Cincinnati, um, and it's been my privilege, Bert, to go many times to the museum and three times to the Ark. you won't be disappointed you will not. It, it's worth it and, and take your children and it. grandchildren let me share this with you I, we yes. did this and i
0: i i wanted to get this in for sure uh my two of my grandchildren our oldest ones uh Chris Lee and and Jude we took up there and after it was over i interviewed them so i could use it on on the other program that i do explore missions and uh listen they were pumped excited uh, there's nothing like coming around a curve and seeing that arc the first time. It will time. blow your mind. So, Alex, you and I both say get up there and see it and take some children and grandchildren with you.
1: Uh, well, amen. Amen. And, and let me say this, just as the, one of the keys to understanding history and why the world is like it is is to understand the fall of Genesis 3 but i think one of the one of the absolute keys to understand the world and animals uh, earth the the mountains the seas the valleys and then you know animals and by that i'm talking mammals reptiles fish fowl You've got to understand the flood of Noah, you really. Do. Yes. So to to the question, does the Bible mention dinosaurs? I believe yes. In Job forty, Isaiah twenty seven, Job forty one, Psalm one hundred and four, verse twenty six, um, verses like this. Job forty and Job forty one, they talk about the behemoth. They uh, you know they talk about this uh, Leviathan in Job 41, that um, the descriptions of these things... And in Isaiah 27 talks about Leviathan, this twisting serpent, this dragon. And Psalm 104, 26, by the way, talks about this Leviathan, this massively gigantic creature uh, that was so big in the sea that it could even maybe be a danger to ships. Well, you read about Behemoth with a tail like a, a tree. Imagine what kind of a lizard would have a, a, a <laughs> tail as big as a cedar tree, wow. and his thighs are like giant you know limbs of a tree. It seems to describe a dinosaur. Now, here's the thing, though. Where are they today? I believe that the fossils you see, uh, the, whether they be shells or animals or bones, the fossil record as we know it, didn't come about by an animal falling dead and laying there for millions of years. No, they were buried in mud. The way fossils are created, mud, rapid burial, and high pressure. When did that happen? The flood of Noah. And so, yes, dinosaurs existed. Yes, God created them. Yes, humans and dinosaurs coexisted at the same time together, but... There was the flood and all of the cataclysm, the breaking apart of the, the Earth's crust, the mud, the burial. But then after the flood, as the waters abated, um, it's pretty well agreed upon there would have been this ice age. So Bert, whatever dinosaurs didn't die in the flood itself, I think they died off in the years after the flood or maybe even months And there's a little residue. There are some creatures that still exist that certainly, you know, like certain reptiles. But uh, the flood of Noah uh, changed this world as we know it it today, didn't it?
0: It did. Creation and the flood, you nearly have to study them together. And that's what's so effective about the Creation Museum and the ark. And that they put them together because it's understanding. Uh, Alex, uh, let me see. You know, it it looks like, and I believe there was one landmass before the flood. You know, I agree, completely agree. When you look at the bottom of the ocean, I have a globe that's uh, in my office, and People come by. They come by and they look at it and they say something's missing. They, and I tell them what it is. I says it's the water. It shows the the raggedness and the ruggedness of the ocean bottoms. If it were over millions of years of what we call continental drift, guess what? It would be smooth. It wouldn't be jagged. It the ocean the ocean floor demonstrates something. Huge happening, like the flood where the 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 earth pulled apart and the water of the deep came up. But you also had what we call a canopy. Uh, men live longer. The animals probably live longer. Uh, people probably healed faster from wounds. Uh, there was a canopy. Some people call it a greenhouse effect, where you mm-hmm. would have uh, the the foliage being you know, huge, and you would have the dinosaurs and animals that lived and grew reptiles that would be huge. And so, but when that happened, you remember, it didn't rain before the flood, there was a mist that came. But after the flood, everything changed, and the atmosphere by which dinosaurs thrived before the flood was no longer that kind of atmosphere, and they would grow extinct. We have extinct animals now. I look all the time because I... I like pers- uh, the preservation of of animal life in in their habitat if you can make it happen. That's I yes. do want that because it's just great to see these huge animals and beautiful animals that God has created and and for them to go extinct, I I said, "Oh, don't. Let's do something to mm. try to help them."
1: Well, the yes. dinosaurs they're in that category of extinction, Alex. Exactly. And another question that has come in, and we get it several times, baptism. What is the importance of the significance of baptism? And kind of related, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? You know, when, when you hear that question, you automatically
0: go to two things. And, and most folks, and I do too, think of water baptism. You yes. and I have covered this several times about the baptism the Holy Spirit coming into our lives at the point of salvation, and it is a, a word that describes that baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then the baptism by water follows, and Jesus gave it in the Great Commission, baptizing those that have chosen to follow Christ to become disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible does not demand baptism, but I would put it this way Alex it is your it is a testimony it is a statement of your faith in Christ as you turn from your way to go God's way and so it is is it necessary no but it is vital
1: i would say it's very very important well and and you know we often talk about when we baptize believers and folks the church for 2000 years has observed what is very often called believer's baptism. In other words, it's not the water baptism that saves you, but by being baptized, you are publicly showing that you have trusted Christ. And you will often, I've done this, and I would be certain that you did too. When you baptize, you'll say buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, Death, burial, resurrection, going under the water, coming up again, that shows that. But you know, baptism also signifies this, that we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that by the Holy Spirit, one Holy Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we're all participators or those who drink of that spirit. Now, here's the thing. The New Testament uses the word baptism in a couple of ways. There's the water baptism of identifying with Christ in his church as a brand new believer. But there's also baptism, immersion into Jesus. Galatians talks about being baptized into Christ. And that happens at the moment of salvation. So let me just say this, and I want your response. How significant is baptism, the the listener asked? Very significant in this sense. By putting your faith in Jesus, the Savior, being born again, trusting Christ, you are baptized into Jesus and into the body of believers. But then a step of obedience that you can also do is different from salvation, but it's a public declaration of your salvation. You can be water baptized in a church. It's not what saves you, but it is a way to publicly declare the salvation That within you has taken place.
0: Alex, I heard of a church, and the way they built their building was the baptistry. You could see it from the sanctuary, but they built it so those who were on the outside could see them being baptized. They had a glass there, and it was the public declaration, not only for the church, but I would say for the world to see, I'm one of his. I'm a follower of Christ. Hey, Amen. we're going to be right back right after this break. Don't go away. More of the questions here on AFR.
1: Now, back to the Bible study with Alex and Bert. You're listening to Exploring the
0: Word on American Family Radio. American Family Radio. American Family Radio. Let the power
1: of your words dwell here richly. Changing the ways that I see. Fill me with other me deep like a tree by the street.
0: This is Bert and Alex and we're glad you're listening to exploring the word. Again, we're taking questions that's come from us. Uh, this is Faraway Friday but we're unable to be live today for different reasons. But we do still take your questions that we got at afr.net or questions that come to Alex, come to me, and we share them on the air. And uh, here's one, Alex, that really got my attention. Is there a difference in walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? You know, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Alex, I believe it's two expressions talking about the same relationship. Do you believe that, or do you think there's some difference here?
1: Great question. And, Bert, you know, aren't you moved by the practicality of these questions? I love it, man. Sometimes
0: they make me think about stuff that, you know— Man, I wish I'd have thought of that, and this is one of them.
1: Well, you know what? I had a wonderful professor at Liberty, and uh, his name was Dr. Paul Fink, F-I-N-K, Dr. Fink, and he's long since in heaven now, but if anybody is listening and they might have gone to Liberty, you might remember Dr. Paul Fink, and he, oh my goodness, what a man of the word he was. But you know, I remember him teaching us through the book of Galatians and talking about you know walking in the Spirit. Uh, let let me say this: I, I agree with you that it is it's really one and the same, being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. But then, you know, walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the the flesh, the ways of the flesh, in a way, um, if if there is any division at all, Bert, I would say it's like this that we um, the the spiritual walk the, the walk of obedience joy and faithfulness is an outflow of letting the holy spirit control your life and and let me talk about this this word walk for just a minute in galatians 5:16 it's a word peripateo and you know the greek professors back at you know, 22 to 2,500 years ago, they, they were peripatetic. They would walk around. They would take a walk, and the students would follow and listen. And so so peri means around, pateo, which is very much like foot or shoe, you're, you're walking around. So when it says walk in the Spirit, in other words, as you go, it's the conduct of your life. And so the, the, the spiritual walk The obedient, fruitful, consistent, joyful, surrendered Christian life. Let's just call it the spiritual walk. It's both and. It's being filled with the Spirit, and then it's being controlled by the Spirit, and the the fruits of the Christian, I would say, as an outflow, the result of letting the Lord control who you are.
0: You know, the word filled with the Spirit, just like you did the word walk, is the word filled is a nautical term. Uh, oh, really? Have you ever heard of, you know, a, a ship, sailboat, you know? The wind mm-hmm. fills the sails, and mm-hmm. that is what empowers, and that's also what moves. Uh, being filled with the Spirit has the idea of, of movement, just like walking in the Spirit does. Yeah. Uh, hence, that's the reason I say there's—I I, th- I still think they're—if they're, if they're not the same, they're so similar, it's hard to distinguish because the filling of the Spirit, he empowers us, uh, he he motivates us, he moves us, and the filling of the Spirit, it's, it's more than just taking a bottle and pouring water out of one bottle, filling it with the other. Uh, that's, I mean, that's okay, but that's not the the term that is used there. And so we're filled with the Spirit. He moves in our lives, Alex. And, and I love this when I'm preaching, and I I say, you know what? Does you, you lift up the sails and ask the Lord to fill. Now the Spirit, same word for wind, you know. So, Mm -hmm. think of that feeling of the Spirit, the wind, the Spirit of the law law, uh, of God moving us and motivating us, moving us to do what God would have us to do. And what you said, the result of both of these, with all my heart, I believe, is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, those nine characteristics. And notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. I, I always, that's intrigued me too, and it's true in the Greek language. Fruit is singular, it's not plural, uh, mm-hmm. but it, nine characteristics are, are listed. And it's someone has said it's like a cluster, like grapes or a cluster. Yes. And, and you don't comes in clusters. Yeah. You don't pick one and choose that. Well, I want to. I want to show mercy, but I don't want to be kind. No, that's not the fruit of the spirit that he is. Uh, that's demonstrated. It is him fulfilling. Really, what it is is Jesus being revealed in your life through the power of the Spirit Alex that's what the fruit is because when you well, look at those nine characteristics and you put them into the life of Jesus that we read about in the in the gospels you'll find Jesus in each and every one of those and so it's Jesus being revealed
1: through our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and Well, and, and, you know, it's not hard to think of things that can creep into our lives that can obstruct the work and the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Bert, I was counseling with a, a Christian couple, and they are in dire straits. I mean, really in terms of their marriage, and I'm praying right now that God will save their marriage. But it all results to a rather minor disagreement about three or four years ago. That both sides have not forgiven, mm. and I mean it wasn't infidelity. I mean it was a fairly minor thing, but both the husband and the wife have not forgiven, and it's festered up into a, a thing that's almost tearing the family apart right now. That's why I want to give an illustration. If I, th- this is probably going to sound a little um, insignificant, but Bert, when Angie and I first got married, we bought this car. And it was a pretty good car, big old heavy car, but mysteriously it would just stop sometimes. And you never knew. I mean, you just never knew when this car would conk out, right? So I took it to the mechanic, and he looked at the carburetor, and he looked at just all kind of things. Maybe it's a wiring issue. Maybe it's the spark plugs of the distributor. You remember when cars had a distributor? I do. (laughs) But uh, finally, finally, they had to take out the gas tank. And there was a piece of metal rummaging around loose in the fuel tank, smaller than a dime. But just, you know, happenstance, and we had this car several years, finally got rid of it. But if that little piece of metal would land in the right place and obstruct the little feeder tube that went underneath the car up to the engine, it would become starved for fuel. And here's a a two-ton automobile that would be stopped dead in its tracks by a little fleck of metal smaller than a dime that was blocking the movement of the fuel. And uh, we got it out, and it ran. But here's the thing. Something in your life that you might think is really rather insignificant, if it blocks the fuel... And I want to say that the, the, the fuel that the Christian runs on is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And maybe it's unforgiveness or maybe it's envy or maybe it's ingratitude or maybe it's some disobedience or maybe even fear or unbelief or lust or, or whatever. Search your heart to, to the question of being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, having the fruits of the Spirit and the joy of the Spirit. Search your heart and whatever that little obstruction might be, confess it to God and put it away, or you will be stopped in your tracks.
0: Good point. I want to read some Old Testament Scripture here. I think it will just add to this question. Uh, the difference, the, have the relationship with the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus comes in. When he comes in, the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's called the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the reason I say we are not at any disadvantage by not living when Jesus walked the earth. Jesus was beside them. Amen. That had to be something. But we Mm. have God in us, the indwelled Holy Spirit into our lives. With that in mind, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to this in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. Now listen to this. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, Alex, those last three statements, they are in ascending order, not descending. In other Mm -hmm. words, the highest calling with our relationship with God is to walk with him. Mm -hmm. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Abraham walked with God. That is the highest relationship that we can have as we walked yeah.
1: with Him to, and to know God. Yes, what, what a bless! What a privilege we have to know God. And so, this is exploring the word, folks. Uh, we're pre-recorded because Bert and I each were traveling today, pre- uh, preaching and ministering around the country. And so this is a pre-record and you uh, can't we we can't take live calls today as we ordinarily do, but we are answering questions. And by the way, if you um, would like to submit a question, you can email it in word at AFR.net, and we'll do our best to give you a response, and it'll be become part of a show. But we love these questions. We also have a book coming out that you can find at the AFA store in September. It's not out yet, but it will be published by Broad Street Publishing out of, um, I believe they're in Wisconsin, uh, but anyway, Broad Street, and it'll be available on all the online booksellers. Every Christian bookstore can get it, but it's, uh, Bird and Alex says uh, the top 100 questions and answers from the first 10 years of Exploring the Word, and we ask that you pray that God will use that book, and we just, I'm just thrilled that we've gotten to do this, aren't you?
0: I am. I've had several people when I've uh, gone to speak and they said, uh, I hear the book's coming out. When's it coming out? How can I get it? And so there it's coming. And uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, it's going to be a blessing to you. And we pray that God would use it. It, Yes, what we ultimately desire, that Jesus Christ would get glory. That's Mm. the ultimate goal. And and so, Alex, I've got one more question, and it won't take us long because I think we've got about three or four minutes in this segment. Let me ask this one real quick, and I think we both can answer it and comment on it. Is there a way to read the Bible chronologically? Now, I get that quite a bit because I'm kind of a chronological thinker. We've talked about that, and I've talked about the Old Testament. There's 11 books that if you'll read them, the historical part is there. Now, the poetry and the poetic and the others would— but there's eleven and I've that question has come up quite often. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, mm-hmm. Judges, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, Ezra and Nehemiah. Those books, those 11 books, chronologically will take you through the Old Testament. Now, again, all the prophets, the poetry, like Deuteronomy, which is the second law, Leviticus, which was given during this period of time, they all fit in. The book of Ruth fits in during the period of the judges. But that's pretty neat. But, Alex, there are chronological Bibles that people can buy, and they can read it that way. And for people that how that now it's not for I wouldn't say it's for new Christians but if you've grown a little bit and you want to add that Alex I, I find it something that really helps me uh to to put it together uh when when that it's the Bible came alive even more when I could put kind of what I call a timeline to it
1: well amen amen and you know I'll tell you what's really a blessing is to re- if you and study, and sometimes these reading plans are in a Bible. Like if you look in the, the the last pages, where there's like a concordance, or the maps, or sometimes in the middle between Old and New Testaments, there'll be like a Bible reading plan. But I'll tell you something that's really a blessing, Bert, is to read the Psalms alongside the passages. Like Psalm One, uh, uh, it was written by David, and it was really kind of a and Nehemiah 13 corresponds to that. And I think about when David was having to flee from Absalom and that's in 2 Samuel 15 and 15 through 17 really. Well, Psalms 3, 4 and 5 are like that. you know And of course a lot of people very famously know about Psalm 51. Right. you know David's confession of sin uh, from with uh, Bathsheba and that's in 2 Samuel 12. But what's so interesting to me, the, the whole Bible, how uh, it goes along with the history of Israel, but even how the Psalms, you know, like uh, the dedication of the temple or the Babylonian captivity or the decree of Cyrus to, um, you know, rebuild the permission to go and rebuild Jerusalem corresponds, you know, you've got a Psalm that corresponds with other parts of the Old Testament and you see God's great panoramic pan, uh, panoramic is what I'm trying to say plan for history and you see that there is a plan not only for history and the, his redemptive plan but there's a plan for each of our lives as well
0: and in the New Testament let's just let me say this you can read it it's fewer books 39 in the old 27 uh, in the New Testament but let me just say if you want to get a overview real quickly of the birth of Christ to the church being established. in Paul, you read Luke Acts. Now there's others. I'm not saying those are the only ones you read, but Alex, that gives you a a kind of a chronological order in the New Testament until, uh, you know, close to the end of Paul's life. And he so, is. hey, we're going to come back with one more segment here where we're going to answer your questions that you sent in at word at fr.net. And to Alex and myself, don't go away. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
1: Everybody here looking for the Bible,
0: in our own hearts and across the man. Anybody looking for a revival? Lift up your voice and say to man.
1: How may I begin to be a witness for Christ? Somebody asked that question. I want to talk about that. And Bert and I are welcoming you back. So glad you're listening. On this edition of Exploring the Word, we're answering Bible questions that people have sent in. And I would encourage you to send in a question when you feel like it. And you can email us. And it may become the content matter for a future program and word. W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net. We would love to hear from you. Sincerely, we really would love to hear from you. And Bert, uh, somebody emails and says, how can I begin to be a witness? And they talk about some people they wish they could lead to Christ. And um, Bert, i got to ask you this. At at what age did you realize that um, you had an opportunity to maybe... Influence somebody to become a believer? Do you recall?
0: I believe it was in high school. Uh, I saved when I was twelve years old, and Christ came into my life, and He really did make a difference in my life. And I got into junior high school, and I knew I had my best friend, and uh, just he was so instrumental in my salvation. Uh, Bud Davis, he listens ever so often, and uh, I, I just thank God for Bud. He would be there telling me and encouraging me, and uh accountability and uh, he helped me to be able to stand uh try to stand with Christ you know and i i i found this guy that was you know he he could tell there was a difference in me uh in my life and he started hanging around me Alex i hate to say it that way but he did and i figured what what's he doing you know and i started talking, and all of a sudden it came on me, Bert, you have a responsibility, uh, not for just him to hang around with you at school, and but tell him why uh, Christ has made a difference in, in, in my life. And so, Alex, it happened there in college. It became a little bit more real and relevant in my life, especially when I started staying in a dorm You stay in a a dormitory, you know, and your room and you got folks all up in the hallway and uh, they're doing things and they want you to join in. Why? Uh, You know, uh, it's that became a reality to me. And I I found out that uh, this these two guys came by and they had uh, the four spiritual laws and they sat down. Yeah. And they sat down with me and I said, man. I I need to get involved, and uh, God did make a difference in my life in that way, Alex.
1: You know, I I think about this, and and I want to talk about how to become a witness for Christ, but, you know, I think about um, my mother and dad. They were both believers. They were, although it really took the bankruptcy of the egg farm to, I mean, they, they really, they recommitted their life to the Lord in their late 50s, and, I mean, it was real, but I had a grandmother and she lost her sight. She went blind. She had diabetes really badly. And she would have me read to her. I've told this story. But so my grandmother was an influence. My sister was an influence. She's five years older than me, and she came to the Lord. And but you know, I, I didn't quite understand. I was a teenager, but I remember my sister was sharing the gospel with me. But I had a, a neighbor and he's a friend of this day, Greg Moser. And he asked me once, have you gone forward? And you know, Bert, I I didn't quite understand, but he was sharing the gospel with me. He really was. On my delivery route, uh, still a friend of this day, Rick Davis, who was the assistant manager of a grocery store, and I was delivering eggs. And I remember on that back dock at this grocery store, Rick Davis was telling me about Jesus. But then not only my parents, my grandmother, Greg Moser, Caroline, my sister, Rick, but then Angie in nursing school relentlessly, endlessly kept inviting me to a Bible study. She would not date me. I kept asking her to go on a date, and she kept asking me to come to Bible study. And I mean, she she would not budge. And so grudgingly, I went to this Bible study, and I'm pretty thick-headed, Bert, but finally it all came together, and I remember when the light came on, I thought, oh, my goodness, Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus went to the cross for Alex McFarland. But I want to say this, folks, um, you can be a witness, and you have no idea. I thank God for all those people. You see, when a person is born again... There's a lot involved. Now, I know the Holy Spirit speaks to people, but Bert, I honestly believe part of the rewards in heaven are going to be for all of the believers that sowed a seed. And it, it could be something as simple as just smiling and being friendly to somebody, and they, they connect the dots, they realize you're a Christian. Bert, there was a, a 19th century preacher named, named Frederick Faber, uh, F-A-B-E-R, he said this, now listen to this, and we're talking about being a witness. He said, quote, kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning. Mm. And I, I believe <laughs> I a lot of people are contributors to the equation when anybody gets saved. Alex, I want
0: to tell you, I think I noticed kindness. With, I, I had not heard that quote. I think in my life, I I... Uh, observe kindness, and it touches me more than all those other things that, you know, more than uh, somebody's boldness or whatever. Kindness has a word to say. But I want to say this about you are, if you're saved, you're a Christian, you are a witness. The question is, what kind of witness are you? You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what kind of witness are you? You know what the Bible says in Acts: "You shall be my witnesses." You shall be. You are one, and but what kind are you? Are you a bold one? Are you a good one? You can be zeal on ice, or you can uh, <laughs> you can be such a person that is as as silent as as you can be, and yet kind. Alex, I agree. Uh, it it's usually more. Than one person. I've heard this story, and I'll tell it quickly. Uh, This and it was an old story about when people plowed with their horses and mules, and it was in a farming community. And this Mm -hmm. church was having revival; they were having day services and night services. And there was a a man who owned the local store. You know how it was in those days one local store. And this farmer would come in and do his business. This uh, store owner would witness to him to no avail. But when this preacher came to town, he said, i tell you what, if you'll come hear him in the daytime, I'll close my store and I'll come out and I'll work your fields for you. The farmer made that deal. And so he went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday and Friday night in place of the farmer going back to his farm after the afternoon service, he stayed around on Friday night, and the evangelist gave the invitation. And that man walked the aisle, and he gave his heart to Christ. Everybody wanted to know, what did the evangelist say that finally clicked? And mm. the man said, well, I'd heard all that before. There was nothing new, but Mr. Smith, who was operating the store, willing come out to sacrifice his income, sacrifice his livelihood, for me to hear truth, that is what did it. You know, wow. I love wow. that story. I know it's an old story, an old-fashioned story, but the mm. truth of it is is that kindness, that a word well-spoken, a, a deed that's done for someone, they can hear and they can hear. Alex, just like those people you were talking about witnessing to you, you'd heard it. You could have probably told somebody what they had said. But after Angie told you about the Bible study and you going and you hearing, somewhere it clicked. All these people and Angie speaking to you like that, uh, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's also using people in our Mm -hmm. lives to bring us to that place, isn't
1: it? Uh, Thank God for those that were obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and they nudged us to Jesus. And, you know, I, I want to say this, and I've got what I think is a really, really good question. But but I, I just say this, I, and I was counseling with a couple um, I mentioned earlier that's having some trouble. And I said, look, we we owe an obligation. I mean, we really do. I know salvation is a free gift. But I want to say this. I feel a sense of obligation, of course, to Jesus, obviously. But, look to the people that prayed for me, to the people who got out of their comfort zone. I saw my friend Greg Moser a couple of years ago. He's a wonderful businessman. And I said, do you remember when we were little? We were about 12, 13 years old. And I said, you asked me if I went forward. And he said, yeah, I remember that. And that was kind of outside the comfort zone. But look, there were all these people willing to raise the subject of salvation. And Bert, then I got saved, I'm in church, I'm going to get engaged. Well, people, they had a shower for me and Angie, and they took an offer and they sent us up to Liberty College to go to seminary. And I, I believe this. This is just me, folks. We have an obligation to those who have invested in us, whether by prayer or helping us along. And listen, if you're saved... You need to be grateful. You need to live for it. And I'm preaching it myself here. But listen, all these people that have invested and just by their love or by overtly helping us along this pathway called life. I mean, we're accountable to them, are we not, Bert?
0: We are. Let me read a scripture. And then I know we I think we have time for another question. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter one, verse 14. 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. And he didn't stop. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. But that word debtor describes that. Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm a debtor to those who have... Passed it on to me to yeah. pass it on to others, Alex.
1: Somebody sent in a question that I thought was really good, and I had not heard anything like it. And, uh, and by the way, folks, Bert and I, we've not rehearsed this, so what I'm about to say is Bert's not heard it yet. <laughs> Somebody said, if Jesus were on earth today, what would he be preaching? Now, w- look, we've got all sorts of turmoil. There's a lot going on in the world a lot of things that are of deep concern to a lot of people myself included if Jesus were still alive here today what would he be preaching i thought that was a really interesting wow.
0: question that is an awesome awesome question alex let me first of all i want to set it up and then i want you to answer more fully the roman world was was yes they were a powerful ruling body But in the area in which Jesus was born, there was upheaval. There would be rebellions. There would be difficulties. There was hardships. There was taxation without representation. There was misrepresentation. There was religion that was cold and indifferent. Uh, There was abuse going on in the world. Yes, and that was the world that Jesus came into. Uh, I'm not sure it'd be any different, brother. That's just me. Real quickly, what do you say?
1: Well, well, yeah. You know, you're right, and and I hadn't thought about that. But in so many ways, the Roman world was very analogous to our world today. Now, yes, w- we might have you know cell phones and automobiles, but human nature hasn't changed. And when I was on this call with some youth group, a youth group the other night. Uh, One of the youth, they were saying, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't mention marijuana. And I said, well, the Bible doesn't mention identity theft or, you know, uh, uh, cryptocurrency or anything like that. But the Bible gives principles. So I'm going to give you what I think, you know, obviously, if Jesus were on earth physically today, his message would be like it was in the New Testament uh, believe on the name of the Son of God and thou shalt be saved, John 6, 40, and so many other verses that we could, uh, John three sixteen. the The primary message of Christ and the message of his church is put your faith in the Savior and be born again. But let me just say this, and, and I think this would cover any possible scenario that the Lord might preach about if he were on earth today. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And John 10, 35, Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. And, you know, I, I think about how over and over, John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth. So here's what Jesus would be preaching if he were alive today. The Bible. Believe the word of God. Believe the Son of God. And so um, the, the salvation message, the moral code, the prophecy that get your house in order because Christ is coming back and uh, there is a day of accountability and judgment. Jesus would declare to this world what has been around for so many centuries, the full counsel of God as found in the pages of Holy Scripture. That's what I believe. Well, I agree with you. And he would talk about uh, man and
0: woman in marriage. He said that then. Uh, The issue was not, but marriage was the same then. It was the same in the garden. You remember what he said in the beginning about divorce? It was not so, you know, for God made Adam and Eve. And so his, the moral foundation Would be the same His message would be the same Would he do it differently I don't know if he'd be on a three year Camp out or not I don't know exactly Hmm. I think he would call men And he would disciple them Alex That's what he would do He would call those men That are closest to them Those women that was close to him And he would equip them to carry on The message and the purpose Of God even after he had died On the cross and rose again I believe
1: that with all my heart. You've been listening to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex here. So honored that you've been with us for this hour of questions. You know, you can listen again at AFR.net. And we hope you might tell somebody about Exploring the Word and the American Family Radio Network. But Bert, what do we hope most of all?
0: We want everybody to tell somebody because everybody needs to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Tell it over and over again that he has saved your soul and he can save others as well.